Today's show is brought to you by SoFi. Whatever your next goal is, get there sooner with a personal loan from SoFi. Low rates, no hidden fees, no kidding. Learn more at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply. Visit SoFi.com slash legal for more information. Loans originated by SoFi Lending Corp. and are not available in all states. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. You may know me as the person who wishes MBA students had to play basketball to graduate, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today in the red chair is Scott Galloway, the founder of the business intelligence firm L2. Since 2002, Scott has also taught brand strategy and digital marketing at NYU's Stern School of Business. And from 2008 to 2010, he served on the board of the New York Times Company. And he's a very funny guy. I saw him appear at DLD in Munich, and I've seen many of his videos. And they're very sharp about where brands are going, and especially Internet brands. You talk quite a lot about that. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Karen. Big fan Uh, of the show. Thank you. Um, So let's get started just a little bit about your background and how you – what you do. Explain for the people what you do. Sure. Product of big government, UCLA and Cal. Mm-hmm. Um, two years at Morgan Stanley. Was awful at it. Entrepreneurship. What were you was doing sort of, there? I was in fixed income. It was mm-hmm. a soul-crushing, awful place for awful people. Uh-huh. And uh, realized I couldn't be successful in a big firm. Went to business school. Got very inspired. Started a company called Profit Brand Strategy. Uh, sold that to Dentsu. Started a company called Red Envelope. And then decided to change my life, moved to New York, started teaching. Red Envelope, the internet company. The internet company. Wow. The in- yeah. Wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And what were, you, what were you thinking when you started that? I was thinking it was the 90s and I had a shaved head and it was an era of e-commerce. It just felt like a natural fit. <laughs> Explain right? what Red Envelope did. for So the- Red Envelope was a multi-channel retailer. Uh, I saw a huge opportunity to take merchandising and a sense of voice to online because at that mm-hmm. point it was just all about- There was no merchandising. Low, low price and- Connected with some really uh, smart people, was really inspired, was working a lot with William Sonoma and, and, and The Gap and thought there was an opportunity to bring voice to the internet. Uh, hired a bunch of intelligent, you know, interesting people, raised a ton of capital. And it was How much? A, oh, gosh. I'd say with the IPO and everything, we probably uh, raised $150 million to build a fantastic company worth 60 to $80 million. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? <laughs> uh, you know, it was, it was great until it wasn't. Um, right. It, you know, it was a great company as long as we had access to cheap capital. And mm-hmm. we got to break even, maybe even made a little bit of money. Uh, this was, it, it's sort of a terrible tale. I think that uh, the sum of all bad things came to pass at Red Envelope. We had a lot of dysfunction at the board level, mm-hmm. which I played a role in as kind of a crazy founder. Our venture capitalists were very heavy handed. And I, I generally think the, the board ruined the company. Really? And, How so? Oh, gosh. I'm getting the dirty laundry early. Please. Um, uh, we had a weak board that was all trying to figure out what the master of the universe, the venture capitalist billionaire in the room wanted to do mm-hmm. and get there first, although he had no background in brand or retail. We made a series of missteps. I got very angry. We tried to replace the board. It just created all sorts of dysfunction. Yeah. Meanwhile, we literally, meanwhile, Amazon. We literally ruined the company. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it was kind of – we shot ourselves in the feet and then took the gun and put it in our mouth. Mm-hmm. And, and in the interim, there were great players with cheaper capital who were doing a better job than right. us. 
2008 came along, some very smart analysts, credit analysts at Wells Fargo figured out retail was going to get its turn of the woodshed cut mm-hmm. our credit line, and we were chapter 11, seven months later. What happened to it? It got sold in the auction. All the employees got to keep their jobs, which was the good news. Um, all the vendors got paid, and it was sold to Liberty Media. Oh, God. and then sold Down again, alone. and then sold again to the company that operates, I think, Pro Flowers. And then mm-hmm. I think it was finally shut down about a year ago. Wow, amazing! So, how did you feel from that experience of your entrepreneurial? You know, even just talking about it now, if I go to conferences and people introduce me, they have the same reaction you just had. You right. said, oh, red envelope. And yeah. you, you, you seem to perk up and feel some goodwill towards me and towards the company. Not really, but No? Well, let friendly. me imagine. Yeah. Um, but I generally get a good reception from consumers. When I talk about it, I start feeling pain in the back of my eyeballs, and I start my lower back starts sweating, and I feel nauseous. Uh-huh. It was a 10-year failure for me. Right. Uh, I lost a lot of money. I um you know, went to war with a lot of powerful, probably good people, and it was, uh, you know. Sounds we, like most startups, actually. We romanticize entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a difficult 10 years. Yes, so but, but you have well. since rebounded spectacularly. Explain what you're doing now. So you've started a firm. Thanks for that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, started an accidental business, L2, so developed an algorithm in NYU. Who is the L2? So it was originally called Luxury Lab. Mm-hmm. And academia, you can't get anywhere unless you do research. And mm-hmm. so I thought, okay, I'll do research around the luxury industry, which has actually probably created more wealth than any industry, maybe with the exception of tech or finance. Mm-hmm. If you look at the wealthiest people in Europe, they're all sure. you know, either Hermes Nutella or, or LVMH yeah. or Hermes, whatever. And thought, there's no real rigor around this. So developed an algorithm of 1,250 data points across site, digital marketing, social, mobile, and then applied it to 100 luxury brands and then produced it thinking it would be an academic a paper on academic uh, research to be published in an academic journal. And about 40 of the 100 brands called and said, who are you and why are you doing this? And recognized there was a commercial opportunity in exchange for some stock to NYU, spun out the IP, and that was the birth of L2. And then about two years later, as we worked with effectively every luxury brand in the world, and then benchmarking their digital competence relative to each other, subscription model, recurring versus, revenue yeah. Yeah. versus services. Wanted to do what I'd done at profit for a fraction of the cost, but do it every year and have it be recurring revenue. Because sure. I noticed that my friends in the software business got multiples of revenues, whereas me in the services business was getting a multiple of EBITDA and mm-hmm. wanted to get out of that out of that business. And then two, three years into the business, Procter & Gamble and Unilever called, so we changed our name from Luxury Lab to L2. Right, so it So it was anything, just trying to broaden the position. Any brand and yeah. stuff, and how they figured out the internet. Now, it's interesting that you had sort of a failed internet company, which doesn't make... Oh, no, I've had several. So, okay. <laughs> um, the concept, the, the, you were trying to bring the concept of how they could be successful on the internet. Yeah, it, it, the notion is, is, so we have... Everybody is reall- – the greatest reallocation of capital in history is going from analog to digital, loosely mm-hmm. speaking. But while there are great metrics for television viewership, you'll probably get pretty robust metrics on how the show does. There aren't a lot of metrics that attempt to boil a brand's digital comp- uh, competence down to a number. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to paint the innovation curve. And why is that? Why is that? Is they don't, people don't care or they just sort of throw money at the wall and then – I think it's hard to do. And mm-hmm. you know, we've raised a ton of money to try and figure it out. Uh, and there wasn't anyone – focus specifically on digital competence. And most of the players who could do it had downstream businesses they didn't want to threaten or compete with. Mm-hmm, which is typically the case, the problem with retailers. Well, typically, you know, if you're a Condé Nast or you're Nielsen or, or whoever it is, you have great strategists and you have the ability to tell them how they're doing. But the end result is going to be spend more money on consultants, print media, or on measuring TV. Mm-hmm. So there weren't a lot of startups benchmarking digital competence. And, you know, just better to be lucky than good. We were coming out of a recession. Employees were inexpensive. Office space was expensive. If I look back, I think I've started nine companies. If I try to correlate the winners versus the losers, the one correlation that really holds true 
is when I started the company. And when mm-hmm. you start a company coming out of a recession, they almost, for me, almost won, were successful. And companies that I would start in an economic time, such as now, almost always failed because mm-hmm. you imprint this DNA. Too uh, much. Uh, yeah. Easy capital. People mm-hmm. are expensive. You start, you enter into this consensual hallucination with the marketplace. So you have a good idea yeah. when you may not. Whereas if you start a company coming out of recession and it works, as soon as the economy comes back, you're going to have the wind at your back. So talk about digital competence. What does that mean? From What are you benchmarking for them? So everything from... Uh, the speed of the website to how many clicks it takes to get to the product to how visible is the site to how well they're doing bidding on uh, key terms in the long tail to how well does the content render on a mobile device to the engagement growth of all of their brand presence on social platforms. But 1,250 data points and every day there's new data points added. You mm-hmm. know, mobile used to be 20 data points. Now it's 200. Mm-hmm. And then once every site has site search or autofill in site search, we kick that data point out. So the great thing about digital is every day the goalposts keep getting moved back. Mm-hmm. And where they're searching, which would be mobile right now or wherever they're doing their business. And what do they then do with that information when they have the you know, this digital competence? If you declare them competent at certain mm-hmm. things or here you need to do, how do you decide what is competent? Well, so we typically look at a benchmark of who we think is doing the best. So multi-channel, look at a Home Depot or a Sephora. And have anecdotal sort of empirical third-party evidence on who's doing this really well. And we'll say, okay, that it makes sense. User-generated content on the product page seems to be resulting in increased conversions. So we'll say that is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And some stuff's basic. Faster load times are a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll um, start measuring that stuff. We try and make it as quantitative, not qualitative as possible. Mm-hmm. And then just in a no mercy, no malice way, tell people where they stack up against their their peer group and then give them a list of recommendations. Of what they need to do. Yeah, based on where they want to be. And everyone says, well, I want to be a genius. We call every brand genius, gifted, average, challenged, or feeble. <laughs> uh-huh. And everyone says, I want to be Who's a genius. <laughs> There's a lot, of, a lot of feeble. It's typically a resource issue, not a competence issue. But mm-hmm. everybody starts off the conversation at breakfast with the CEO of a large athletic company this morning. And so he said, I want to be genius. And then I'll say, okay, you need to upgrade your vendors, take your e-commerce group from 30 people to 120. And then I'll sit back and say, okay, I want to be gifted. Mm-hmm. So we have what I would refer to as a series of adult conversations steeped in benchmarking data around where right. you are on the innovation curve and realistically what you need to be. Can you overall talk about how the retail industry, because you focus a lot on retail, yeah. though you talk about other brand issues too, but a yeah. lot on retail. How seriously are retailers taken? You've written a lot about the concepts around how retail is over. And I couldn't, one of the things that attracted me to having you here is we had the CEO of Walmart at Code a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the idea that there's going to be a 10,000, I covered retail for seven years when mm-hmm. I was at the Washington Post, so I know a lot about retail. Mm-hmm. And he said something that I thought was very striking that nobody was really paying attention to about 10,000 square foot stores. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? Like that changes everything. It changes economics. It changes their business. It changes everything. I was surprised he said it, and I was surprised he meant it. Like I don't mm-hmm. know, sure if he meant or he knew quite what he was saying. But I thought, well, there's someone who really does understand where things are going. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like one of the things you've written about is how retail is over, kind of like you, you essentially? I mean, you've said it in so many words, and you're sort of hedging it a little bit. But I think you yeah. have essentially said that. So stores are going to be around a long time. Retail is going to be around a long time, just as newspapers and magazines will be. They'll just be. Uh, difficult places to invest Mm -hmm. or work. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have this sort of perfect storm in retail right now. And that is, we know for a long time that we're overstored. We have about seven feet, square feet per capita, say the Germans, and about two or three for everything once the Canadians have. 
Um, middle class, wages stagnant. I mean, the engine powering all of this is just mm-hmm. firing on three cylinders instead of eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amazon, people spending more money on coffee and experiences. So you have this perfect storm of bad things. And kind of the reckoning is here because we've known about these things for 10 years. Sure. But it seems like retail kind of chugged along. Yeah. And they did it through constant promotionality, which is sort of like a payday loan. It comes right. back to haunt you. Prices. Uh, but it, we're seeing it now. I think you're seeing this kind of great reckoning or unwinding of retail. Now, there's going to be winners. Mm-hmm. Sephora is going to open more stores and do really well. I actually think Walmart is going to do pretty well. People always say Walmart versus Amazon. I don't think, I think the two are actually don't really compete that much against each other. I think mm-hmm. Walmart will cons- will continue to serve the rural consumer. You know, I was wonder who is that consumer that doesn't have broadband or a smartphone? Mm-hmm. It's a Walmart consumer. Mm-hmm. And Amazon is more, really more urban. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there'll be winners. But on the whole, you know, unless you're, it's like, if, some people just have to be doctors. They mm-hmm. grow up and from the age of eight, they're playing doctor and they just know I have to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. So telling them that it's going to be a more difficult profession is no use. Some people just have to be in retail. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have to be in retail, I would say it's going to be a very difficult business over the next 10 years. And explain why. What is it? One, Amazon. Uh, one, Amazon. Well, there'll be an increasing number of fewer winners garnering more and more of the profits. Mm-hmm. Amazon will be one of them. Fast fashion is a great place to be. Uh, but the majority of the retailers will face these kind of this triple threat of stagnant wages in the middle class, a, a transition away from kind of typical retail goods to more experiences and, you know, Starbucks and uh, Amazon, fast fashion and stagnant middle class wages and also just the overstoring of America. We could lose a third of our retail space and probably not miss it. Mm-hmm. Because we, no one's using it. You just know, have but, too much of it. Yeah. And what do you – do they recognize when you talk about this idea of digital competence? Do they recognize what is coming what, in terms of getting to be digitally competent or is it just – don't even bother. Oh, no, they get it. These are smart people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are early and often. You, you live in San Francisco, right? Mm-hmm. Williams-Sonoma was an early innovator. Absolutely. And they're doing pretty well. And about 44% of their sales are now online. Mm-hmm. Urban Outfitters, and full disclosure, I'm on the board of Urban Outfitters, does about 40% of their sales online. So to a certain extent, you could argue these aren't retailers. They're the highest margin e-commerce co- uh, players in a mm-hmm. while. So they got it early and often. But what Basically, I, I would argue what Amazon has done is Amazon is conspiring with 600 million consumers, infinitely cheap capital offered by fanatical groupie-like investors, and incredibly deft execution understanding technology, that they've collaborated with all these entities to basically starch the margin out of, out of brand mm-hmm. and retail. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it pretty effectively. Mm-hmm. And the, the losers here, the winners are consumers. The winners are Amazon shareholders. Uh, but the losers are the retail ecosystem, which includes 11 million cashiers, which right. includes, you know, the 40 million households that have a share of Gap or Walmart. But you're sec- effectively seeing this giant sucking sound out of the entire retail ecosystem into a small number of players. Right, with Amazon pushing them forward with things like Prime and things like things like that. You know, I and again, I don't have inside information here, but I would speculate that where Amazon is headed, where I would be thinking if I were Amazon, mm-hmm. is to run a trial in a college town called Prime Squared, mm-hmm. where using artificial intelligence, a fulfillment network that has a warehouse within 20 miles of 45% of the U.S. population and really 75% of the disposable income, your purchase history, your credit card information, and they're going to start sending you two boxes twice a month or right. twice a week. You talked about this, yeah. One box full of the stuff they think you want. One box is empty. You send the stuff you don't want back. They learn from it. And you calibrate using Alexa. More beer. I'm leaving town for a week. Barbecue for six people. Send me three quotes for auto insurance for a 2014 Toyota Camry via email. And I think they're going to say to you, tell you what, we'll give you an amazing deal, all kinds of fun stuff. 
but you're going to shop at one retailer and one retailer only. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're going to take those households from $1,300 a year, which is what Prime subscribers uh, spend, to seven or 8000 And I think it's going to send a massive chill through the entire ecosystem. And we're going to have our first trillion-dollar company. I think it's going to be Amazon before it's, before it's Apple, even though mm-hmm. Apple's in striking distance. And I think the whole business world and, to a certain extent, society is going to stare at their navel and say, what does it mean when we have one retailer? Right, exactly. I mean, it's fascinating what's happening because I really only buy on Amazon now. It's, I think about it, and I buy very little not on Amazon. Yeah, um, it's bifurcating into their stuff. There's, st- there's what I call joy, and there's the mundane. Mm-hmm. And joy is buying a Porsche of Manola Blahnik, so you have a pair of what look like Ray-Ban aviators. Mm-hmm. That stuff's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. There's some joy in shopping. Yeah. I would bet 90 to 98%, depending on who you are, of retail is not joyous. It's tedious. Mm-hmm. And I think Amazon's going to take that off the table. So talk a little bit about – you talked about their batteries. I thought that was really interesting, mm-hmm. the concept behind their basics. I don't buy a lot of their basics, but mm-hmm. I'm starting to. So it's not unusual, and, and it's not nothing – you know hugely insightful to talk about a retailer leveraging the power to build private label. JCPenney's built a sure. billion dollar. Giant foods, they all do. Yeah, they all do the same Safe thing. Sam, Sam's Cola. What's interesting, though, about Voice and Amazon is that when you talk about, so let's go one step. Online is typically a place that brands harvest as opposed to build a brands because they mm-hmm. lose a lot of the magic and the mystery of fun branding, packaging, feel, et cetera. When you go to Voice, you lose almost everything. Mm-hmm. You lose packaging. You lose sometimes even the brand name. The number of queries on Google and the number of commands on Alexa that are, have a prefix of a brand is declining every day. It doesn't say Duracell batteries. This is just batteries. says batteries. Right. It says Lagunitas IPA beer. Then it goes to IPA beer. Then it just goes to beer because mm-hmm. uh, Alexa knows what you want. Mm-hmm. And when you ask, we have Alexas all over our office, and we're constantly asking them things all day to mm-hmm. try and see if we can see trends. And one of the trends we see is the following. that You can get products for less when you order them on Alexa than if you go to the Amazon website. So clearly Amazon has decided to take some of their- Because there is some merchandising there. And they've made a conscious decision to take Mm -hmm. infinitely cheap capital and encourage people to start buying via Alexa. Mm -hmm. When you start buying via Alexa, you're effectively obviating or rendering almost useless the billions of dollars and decades brands have spent on things like eye level Right. Packaging. They can't even control pricing. A lot of people don't even hear the pricing or know the pricing when they order on Alexa. And Alexa is trying to build this confidence that if you buy it here, it's even cheaper than on Amazon. Right. So if you ask Alexa for batteries, it recommends Amazon Basic batteries. And mm-hmm. then you say no. And it recommends another package of Amazon Basic batteries. And then it says, that's all I have. But if you go on Amazon, that's not all they have. No, you can see They have see several everything. brands. Yeah, they have lots of brands, right. So just as Apple will probably use voice to go into media, Google will figure out a way to turn voice into opportunities for more advertising. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that Amazon wants to move people towards buying. And one click kind of revolutionized retail. We're going to zero click, and right, it could literally just, just change the game. Right. All right. We're here talking to Scott Galloway, who is a who runs the business intelligence firm L2, but he's also teaches brand strategy and digital marketing at NYU. And um, we're going to talk about brands when we get back. Today's show is brought to you by Audible, which has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. And you can listen to all of that wherever you are, thanks to Audible's free apps for iOS, Android, and Amazon devices. It's not a streaming or rental service. With Audible, you own your books. Scott, what book should I listen to next? Uh, I got three for you. Irresistible by Professor Adam Alter, Tap by Professor Aninda Ghosh, and The Share Economy by Professor Arun Sundarajan. Okay, a lot of professors. Why? All great colleagues. All buddies at NYU. Okay. All right. What what is each of them at very briefly? Tap's about mobile. Share Economy is, you know, about about Uber and everyone else trying to, and Irresistible is about our addiction, how companies make 
products and services addictive. Okay. Well, that's, a, that's one of my favorite topics. Well, when you become an Audible member, you get a free book every month plus a 30% discount on all regularly priced books. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash decode, download a title free, and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash D-E-C-O-D-E. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who'd you talk to this week? Kara, I talked to one of the most quoted and most disliked men on Wall Street, at mm. least in the media world, uh, Rich Greenfield. Guy writes about digital media, writes about a lot of stuff. I write about differences. The, uh, the old media guys, the guys who run TV networks, hate Why? him. Why? What did he do right? Because he keeps saying they're, they're headed for doom. Mm. He pokes them and prods them, and they hate hearing about that. They commission hit pieces. I don't know. I'm imagining they okay. commissioned a hit piece <laughs> okay. about him. Maybe just a hit. They, yeah, just a hit. Anyway, he was alive when I talked to him. It was a lot, a lot of fun. Well, that sounds great. You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're here with Scott Galloway. He is a professor of digital and marketing and brand strategy. He also runs a business intelligence firm called L2. He writes a lot about retail or an internet brands. And we we're just talking about brands. Mm-hmm. I want to get to the internet companies in the next section, but let's talk about brands right now because sure. you're talking about a decimation of brands, which mm-hmm. has been at the heart of the American, not just the retail, mm-hmm. everything, business mm-hmm. system uh, for consumer goods forever. Um, there's some great brands like Apple who many yep. feel just can't go away or, yep. uh, you know, and some and others that maybe can, like batteries mm-hmm. you were talking about. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about where brands are going and what they need to do to stay relevant in the digital age because it sounds pretty much like they're gone. So they're not going to, I don't think they're gone. I just think, again, it's going to be a difficult industry that doesn't garner nearly the shareholder value used to. And that is, I think the sun has passed midday on the era of brand. Right. And I think it was signaled when uh, with the um, rise of Google. And that mm-hmm. is, brand has effectively served as shorthand for getting you from the unknown to the known faster than you could on your own because you couldn't do the diligence. I'm going to London on Wednesday. Uh, if I was going on an expense account, I'd say the Four Seasons or the Mandarin Oriental because on a scale of one to ten, they always do an eight. Mm-hmm. But then I'm on Instagram. I see a tribute to David Bowie. I see him at a hotel that looks cool. I go on TripAdvisor. I go on my social graph. And within kind of two minutes, I have the diligence and the confidence to book. A hotel uh, you never would have heard of. Never would have heard of. And so all of a sudden, the the importance of brand as shorthand is diminished. Well, David diminished. Bowie's dead, so you don't want to do that. Yeah, I know, but that's why I saw the <laughs> – okay. that's why I saw the – other than that, he's doing great, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, uh, But the new tools of diligence, Google, Amazon Reviews, TripAdvisor. So what's your favorite brand? It's the brand that Google tells you is your favorite brand at that tonight. moment. I love Hotel Sonai. That's mm-hmm. a great example. But what you have is you no longer need to immediately defer to the shorthand of brand. And the number of people who can name their favorite brand across luxury, across hotels, across retail has declined 20 or 30 percent just mm-hmm. in the last five years because people now have the ability to find unique and special. And disposable high-margin income wants special and it wants new. It used to want Danone, then it wants Yoplait, then it wants Chobani. Now it wants some special kefir yogurt that they saw Beyonce like that is curdled in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. You can find the long tail has new life. That's mm-hmm. the good news in consumer. Mm-hmm. In technology, it's the short tail, fewer and fewer players. In consumer, in the world of beauty, in the world of food, mm-hmm. the long tail has new life. But brand is uh, eroding in terms of importance. The notion that the algorithm for value post-World War II was the following. An average shoe, an average soda, and then wrap it in these outstanding brand associations. Feel, feel more American. Feel hotter if you drink this beer. Feel more elegant in European True advertising. This hand lotion. Right. Pound away with these associations. Marginal products. Stuff it in the channel. 
product is the new black again. A truly great product that usually leverages some sort of technology or has some sort of farm-to-table or organic or specific indication at a great price can find, can break through now. It used to be a tree falling in the forest. Mm -hmm. Now, wonderful breakthrough. Give me an example of that. Oh, there's just so many outstanding um, little brands. Uh, Headphones, Etymotic Mm -hmm. is this great little uh, great little headphone company started by people who initially did hearing aids, and I found them. Um, I found them. I think on Amazon reviews. There's mm-hmm. just. Uh, I think if you th- look at the food and um, the packaged foods you purchase, right? Uh, the big brands are struggling. Ninety mm-hmm. percent of CPG. The Ninety of the hundred biggest CPG brands last year lost share and two thirds lost revenue because mm-hmm. people are buying so many other. At huge prices. Right. Uh, it's a great time to be a little brand that has a great product like in the consumer world. The water. I don't know how I found out about the water. The oh, buy right. water. Do you know the B-A-I? I don't know the buy water. B-A-I, something like that. It's suddenly everywhere. And I think it was just bought by Coca-Cola or whatever. Yeah? Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I don't know why I heard of it before. I probably did see it on social media. But there's, there's a, a ton of opportunity. But I do think the industrial advertising complex of broadcast media. I mean, the other thing that's killing brands here, Kara, is that we're no longer watching advertising. Mm-hmm. I believe advertising has become a tax of the poor and the technologically illiterate pay. Mm-hmm. Advertising sucks. Mm-hmm. I'm about to go to the Cannes Creativity Festival. It should really be called the What Advertising Sucks Less Festival. <laughs> if someone said to you at this moment, I'll let you give up all advertising, uh-huh. would you do it? Yeah. 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 And, and you're starting to. When I go home tonight, I'll be in Florida. I'll watch Modern Family as I do on every Thursday night. I can download it at abc.com or I can download it on iTunes and pay $2.99 for 21 minutes uninterrupted. I'll pay the two ninety nine. Mm-hmm. If you are wealthy, a signal of that is that your advertising in your life is going down. So the traditional advertising industrial complex is is crumbling, which means traditional brand equity built via broadcast advertising is declining. What does that mean for young people? If you're going to work in the media, make sure you're going to work for something that's not ad-supported or that has some large subscription component. You want to go to work for HBO, not ABC. Mm-hmm. And what do those people do then, the ABCs and others? I think that's a much larger question, but mm-hmm. I think we're, you know, I mean, lifting up to more societal issues, we're destroying jobs a lot faster mm-hmm. than we can recreate them. What we do see, though, is this app economy is recreating all these kind of low price jobs. So while I think employment will be super strong, I think an app world, and I'd be curious to get your viewpoint on this. but I agree 100%. I think an app world, we, we, we will dilute ourselves into this cold comfort that unemployment will be low, but we'll arbitrage people down from middle class jobs. To part-time, to temporary, task rabbit. No, there'll be servants and people who can pay for servants. We're becoming the Philippines in the 1970s where expats will have servants. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have 3 million lords and 350 million serfs. I mm-hmm. think that's what our economy looks mm-hmm. like. So when you think about that, the idea of a destruction of brand, how do you make – there are brands that are maintained. Like, Give mm-hmm. me some examples you think do a good job of doing that. Would Apple be one of them? Oh, I mean, App- <laughs> Apple's kind of blown the notion of core competence out of the water because they do so many things well. Mm-hmm. But they, they do it not only through great advertising. I think the biggest innovation, the, the, the one business decision that created more shareholder value than any other business decision mm-hmm. in the last 10 years, people, most people would say Apple and the iPhone. And I think they got the brand right, but the decision incorrect. I think the, the biggest, the most value-creating decision in business the last two decades was Apple's crazy decision, irrational decision to forward integrate into something they knew nothing about, and that was retail, Mm -hmm. and to build 500 temples to the brand because the pre-purchase branding, the sort of broadcast is getting duller and duller. That Valerium steel is getting duller. Mm -hmm. Nice Valerium steel. I like that. Do you like that? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I'm an enormous Game of Thrones fan. But go buy a Samsung phone Mm -hmm. and a Verizon 
or an AT&T store. It's just, it's, it's awful. A it's a terrible experience, soul crushing, confusing, uninspiring. Going to an Apple store, you just kind of want to hang out. Mm-hmm. So I think that they still have to reinvent that too, though they're in the busy trying to figure oh, that well, out. There, there's not, no one's safe, mm-hmm. right? But I would argue uh, Apple has a ten year lead on Samsung. Mm-hmm. And what you want to do, I think, in the digital world to maintain value is you want to get fast and get valuable using kind of digital technologies, cloud, network effect, et cetera. And then you immediately, once you have access to cheap capital, want to build analog moats mm-hmm. that take years to overcome. Right. It'll like take Samsung 20 years to come up with these types of stores. If they can. If they can. It, yeah. Facebook's now laying, what is a pipe across the Atlantic, right? Google's mm-hmm. trying to build fiber. I think that if I'm on the board of one of these companies, I think, okay, let's get cheap capital using digital technologies and then immediately start building some sort of brick and mortar that's just hard to overcome. Mm-hmm. That, okay. You can't you can't buy the time. We'll talk about those Amazon stores, which I find fascinating. It's strange though. If you actually look at the number of stores relative to their PR, there's hardly no. They're any just of them. starting. No, no, they're just. You know, but but think about the outsized <laughs> reaction here. They announced one store, Amazon Go, artificial intelligence to take out cashiers. Mm-hmm. Probably three of the 11 million cashiers in the U.S. got fired that day. They just don't right. know it yet. Right. There are more cashiers in the U.S. than there are teachers. Right. And now uh, having I'm in a lot of boardrooms of retail companies. They're all using the term optimize their stores, which mm-hmm. is code for fire people. Mm-hmm. So you know, everyone looks to Amazon for leadership. And I've been predicting they were going to go into stores for five years. Mm-hmm. And I can't even really legitimately say I'm right mm-hmm. because they don't have a lot of stores yet. Right. They haven't found a model that works for them yet. I still believe they're going to buy a Macy's or a Carrefour or something like that. I, I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't buy Whole Foods, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because of their urban locations, they could close them down and just turn them into warehouses and think they could justify the price. But, uh, you know, I do think Amazon— and Where would we get our $4 tomatoes? There you go, or an $18 ba- right. bunch, bunch <laughs> of grapes. Um, you got to love Whole Foods, though. It's just yeah. wonderful. I oh, could I just, just hang out there. I don't know there. what I do. I could just I hang out there. there. But so far, their, their, their PR has well outpaced their actual— uh, store right. openings. Very right. few but I so do far. think the, the concept is, there's two things I think Amazon's doing fascinatingly. One is these stores and how they create them. The lack of cashiers, I think, is a big idea. As, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm not talking about just self-checkout. It's that you walk into a store and they know you, and you mm-hmm. they know your history, and they know what you buy, and it starts to get super smart about you. I've, I've been complaining to Apple for years is, why can't I walk into an, I've spent $100,000 easily in mm-hmm. Apple over the years. Why can't I walk in a store? They know that. They know just what I bought. As and the minute I walk in with my phone, it, I allow it to activate. And I get in the line ahead of the teenager sexting in front of me. You know what I mean? When I want to look at like, why is that teenager get to sex when I want to look at a new product? Yeah, and then I, people come and pet you and give you champagne, whatever. <laughs> like, I want some action, like, in the Apple store. And I don't understand why they don't do that um, from a digital perspective. My mind's a blank after you said sexting <laughs> and petting. Um, so, but I think it's going to go further than that. I think Apple has the credibility to, I, I think Apple with people like you and me who are kind of Apple fans, I think they should just start sending us stuff. Uh-huh. I think just they could send stuff. me a box and say, Scott, you clearly love the latest, greatest computer that's overpowered. And Instead of it, you going out and grabbing it. Just right. send it to me. Say, this right. is what we charge if you don't want it. Right. Text well, here and we'll fix. pick it up. That's a stitch fix box. If it, you the model them. makes sense. Yeah, that they sent you and then you send it back. Yeah. It's quite enjoyable, I have yeah. to say. Although they sent me all young, hip things and I'm 100 years old, so it was a little bit of a mismatch on my brand. But if they had... You know, old soccer moms, it would be great. It yeah, would be kind of I don't stuff. buy that. I yeah. think you're like me. I, I, I dress like an aging skateboarder. My wife says I look ridiculous. <laughs> um, but let's talk just briefly before in this section, because I do want to get to some of the brands, the internet brands. I want you to sort of mm-hmm. judge them for me, because okay. you're real good. I like all your videos where you judge people, which I my, enjoy. You mean I'm obnoxious. Yes, exactly. When you're talking about this idea of who does 
well enough, if there's no brand, say, is that, does that mean like a Disney? I'm trying to think of the big brands. A Disney does mean something. Still. Oh, yeah. And they will for a long time. So I, I, don't, I don't think brands are going away. I just think it's going to be a difficult place to invest or work. And it, Disney has a superior product. And right. they wrap a great so brand up around it. So you have to have a superior it. product with it. I, I think product, uh, pro- I mean, even look at their characters, their animation. You go to Disneyland and you see what Marvel. they do with little girls mm-hmm. in the, the princessing in the castle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is a superior, it is a superior product. Mm-hmm. And, and it all lends itself to an unbelievable brand. So brands are still going to be important. But this notion that you can create a Don Draper-like genius campaign and wrap associations around a crappy product and get 60 points of margin, which mm-hmm. describes probably two-thirds of CPG right now. Right. I mean, just do you really need to pay four bucks for that detergent when it's right. probably a buck eighty nine? And basically, Amazon is conspiring with the help of six hundred million consumers to say, you know what, that sixty points of gross margin, we okay. think we can starch it out for you, right? And get ri- and get rid of that and, and just rely on them. Yeah. When you think about the idea of what a retail store then looks like, or where mm-hmm. people buy things, or p- how people find out about things. Mm-hmm. It, Paint that for me. What does it look like? I think it'll be smaller, and I think uh, the the way to make money in retail and the retailers that are doing well is what um, I would what I would call zigging while while Amazon's zagging. Everyone's trying to figure out a way to invest in technology to take people out. I mm-hmm. think the best ROI for retailers right now is an investment in organic intelligence. And what do I mean by that? Best Buy in their blue shirts program, Home Depot in their gold aprons. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think the people in Apple are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Sephora and their cast. These mm-hmm. are people who are passionate about beauty. People are no longer going to stores for products. They're yep. going for people. If they're going to go into store, they want amazing service, amazing expertise, insight, navigation of the right product right away. Right. They want to be or, petted. Or quite frankly, yeah. Or quite frankly, they can just get it online for less. Right. So if I'm going into a store, I want to be informed or I want to be inspired. Mm-hmm. And, or, or I want a warehouse that's more efficient than the 57 minutes I can get with Amazon now meaning you better get it to me fast and get me out. Right. But the notion that we're going to just go to stores for products. And just, wander around grabbing them off the shelves. I agree. Yeah, and then looking that. around for help and then waiting in line. I mean, it, it, consumers have gotten so impatient, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Waiting in line. Yeah, yeah, they just won't do it. They won't do it. Now, the automation, I think, is fascinating. People mm-hmm. aren't paying enough attention to it with, with regards to Amazon particularly. Mm-hmm. A lot of their, the companies, they bought Kiva and others, mm-hmm. are all around automation and how that changes everything. Mm-hmm. And more job loss, in other words. Yeah. Well, look, Amazon can can do with one person what Macy's and other retailers take. You know, depending on the retailer, need five or eleven. Mm-hmm. So every time, if Amazon, if Amazon grows its top line twenty or thirty billion this year, that means basically you could fill up Madison Square Garden, the Meadowlands, and throw in, throw in, you know, the Rose Bowl mm-hmm. with cashiers, merchants buyers and say, congratulations, here's your pink slip courtesy of Amazon. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's Amazon's fault. You know, Jeff Bezos will say that Amazon didn't happen to bookstores, the future happened to bookstores. But mm-hmm. Amazon is bringing the future really fast. Mm-hmm. And so, look, it's a great time to be a software engineer that knows how to program robots. We're trading mm-hmm. off these low and middle class wage jobs mm-hmm. for fewer and fewer very high paying jobs. Mm-hmm. It's becoming kind of – it's more the hunger games, really, that the winner gets gets a lot, gets a fabulous lifestyle, but everybody else gets, you know, meets, meets an ugly end. Gets to be a end. task rabbit. There you go. Gets to be a task rabbit. All right, we're here with Scott Galloway. He's the founder of the business intelligence firm L2, and he also teaches brand strategy and digital marketing at NYU Stern School of Business. We're going to talk about the brands of the Internet, and I want to get his take on everything. And I do – he's on the board of the – he was on the board of the New York Times. I mm-hmm. want to hear what he thinks about that, too, when we get back. This podcast is brought to you by SoFi. 
Whether you want to cut your credit card debt, pay for home improvement, or cover a big purchase, a personal loan from SoFi is the easiest way to make your goals happen. From low rates to no hidden fees, SoFi is a new financial company that is all about helping you save money. Plus, when you pay off your existing credit card debt with a personal loan from SoFi, you may even raise your credit score too. Find your rate in just two minutes. Get started at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply. Visit SoFi.com legal for more information. Loans originated by SoFi Lending Corp. and are not available in all states. This show is sponsored by the Showtime documentary film, The Putin Interviews. Through a series of candid conversations, filmmaker Oliver Stone gives you a fascinating and intimate look into the psyche of Russian President Vladimir Putin. There were no rules and that no subject was off limits. They talk about the hacking of the 2016 election, nuclear weapons, ties to President Trump, and even touch on Putin's personal life. It's a never-seen-before look into the life of a powerful world leader. Don't miss the Showtime documentary film The Putin Interviews, an unprecedented four-night event streaming now. Download the Showtime app to start your free trial. I also want to tell you about my other podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask, which I host with Lauren Good of The Verge. Lauren, what did we talk about this week? Well, we talked about Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference with Neelai Patel from The Verge. Uh, it was a decidedly hardware-heavy conference for what is ultimately a software conference. We saw things like new MacBooks, new iMacs, a new iPad, a home speaker that everyone's been talking about called the HomePod. And then, of course, there were updates to iPhone and Mac software that we get into. It was a really great discussion, and we hope you'll go listen to it. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen Listen to podcasts. That's too embarrassed to ask. See you there. We're here with Scott Galloway, who is a business intelligence person. Now he's going to—that is someone who's apparently intelligent about business. Um, but he also teaches brand strategy and digital marketing at NYU uh, Stern School of Business. I want to go through in this last section mm-hmm. all the brands and what okay. you think of them. Um, the brands are the people, the companies. What do you mean? The, the brands that are okay. on the internet right okay. now. You talk about a lot of them. Let's start with with Netflix. We know what you're talking okay. about Amazon. Yep. You think yep. Amazon's clearly. Yeah. Killing it. Yeah. Just killing it. Run, running away with it will, will probably cause a lot of um, huge indigestion as we realize it's going to run away with almost everything in retail. Anything. And do you see any problems for them? Uh, Strength and weaknesses. So uh, I think the only thing in the way of Amazon right now is a governor or a district attorney wakes up in the morning, looks in the mirror and says, hello, Mr. Governor, mm-hmm. and thinks that the clearest blue line path to the gu- gubernatorial mansion is to go after Amazon mm-hmm. or somebody in Brussels. Or DC. I think at this point only Trump regular. Trump has. Yeah, I think I, I'm not going to go there. So <laughs> I, I think regulation is probably the only thing that gets in the, gets in the way at this point. But by the way, when people like me start saying that, <laughs> usually is when they start to hit speed bumps on their own making. So we'll see. But I yeah. just don't see anything that can threaten them. There, I'm a big. I'm a big. I, I, at night when I can't sleep, I war. I watch the History Channel, which is all about war. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the war, the Germans had better equipment, better soldiers, better morale. But we had 38 gallons of gasoline for every one they had. Mm-hmm. Amazon is the retailer that shows up with 38 gallons of gasoline. Mm-hmm. They can just overwhelm every category with brute force. They go mm-hmm. into video streaming, and they show up with a $5.5 million content budget. Mm-hmm. ABC, NBC will spend $4 billion on content this year. HBO will spend two and a half. So here's Amazon, a retailer yeah. that goes into it. To sell 
a non-adjacent category. To sell paper towels. I was talking to one of their creators uh, who's coming to code this year, Jill Soloway, and she goes, am I helping sell paper towels? I said, oh, you sold a lot of paper towels, Jill Soloway. She goes, do I get a piece of that? I'm like, no, you do not. It's it's an adjacent but important adjacency, I think. It gets you in there. It gets you in the Amazon ecosystem. Yeah, more hooks. Yeah, absolutely. So Google. Uh, so I think Google is God. I think it's it's uh, probably the, got the least robust business in that it's 120% of their profits and 90% of their revenue. And, and you're going to forget more about this than I'm ever going to know. But it's played such an I, – I think it's replaced God for us. And that mm-hmm. is as society has become more wealthy, more educated, God tends to play or, or a re- religious institutions tend to play a smaller role in their lives. Yet mm-hmm. our modern-day anxieties and questions grow. So there's an, this enormous spiritual void yeah. for a divine intervention. And when you typically pray, will my kid be all right? You're sending information in the atmosphere hoping there's divine intervention and it comes back with a better answer. Now it's symptoms and yeah. treatment of croup. I really yeah. do believe that <laughs> Google is a modern man's God and it <laughs> so fills that funny. role. One in five question, queries posed to Google have never been asked before in the history of humankind. Think of a cleric, a rabbi, a priest, yeah. a teacher, a coach that has so much credibility that one in five questions posed to that individual have never been asked before. Have, have you been to the headquarters where you see the queries come in? They take out the dirty ones, but they show the queries as they come in. And some of them are the most bizarre combinations yeah, of strange. questions. It's like horses, like grass, sneakers. And you're like, what do they want? Like I, I, like literally, and I always say it's it's the it's the catalog of humanity's intentions. Like, but the number, the, the ones that are, that are most uh, queried are actually very depressing. Mm-hmm. Why did God make me ugly? Why does God not like me? I mean, there's, it's really, it's some really like, yeah. uh, like disturbing stuff when you start to look at search humanity volume. Humanity is disturbing, Scott. You Pardon? Know, you haven't figured out humanity. You watch Game of Thrones, humanity is yeah, disturbing. Yeah, like, there's I, a, like I, a dismember guess, every you know five what? seconds but, on that you know, show. I hate my life less and less every day. Yeah, so okay. I think it's getting better. Um, so Google, and what's the problem they face? Well, Google, Google arguably has the least robust of the business because Apple has five or six businesses that could be $100 billion market cap companies and has created this ecosystem. Google has one amazing business. And a lot of kooky ones. And you're sort of one click away from Google. And then it feels like adult supervision showed up. Ruth Porat, is that her name? Yes, Porat. She's coming. And said, OK, we're not going to cure death. Stop spending money on that. Right. But Google arguably has the least robust of the business, but has the it's best single business. Yeah, it's a really good business. As far as, as, far as, as, far as being uh, you know, blessed with a, only one business, that's probably the business you want to be. But that's probably there. Yeah. The, and the biggest threat to Google right now is the biggest threat to almost every other business and that is Amazon. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it? 58% of product searches now begin on, on Amazon, Amazon versus right. 23 or 28 Facebook on Google. On the other side, squeezing the other side. So you have, uh, I don't think Facebook's much of a threat around search. search. I think search has been a bit, uh, kind of a, a head fake so far. Yeah. But Amazon, if you think about the things that should garner high bids for the it's keyword. Products. Product, right? Yep. So Amazon's, Amazon has slowly but surely become the second or third and most Amazon valuable has long search franchise. Invested in research. And actually, one of their search people went over to Google. They've been doing it for years. They've been trying to do it for years. And talk about incestuous. Who's Google's biggest customer? Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's strange. But, um, I mean, the safety in all of this, they're all getting so powerful. But the safety in all of us is they all hate each other. Mm-hmm, they do. And they're going after each other, which is kind of nice to see, yeah, right? Yeah. The, they're ignoring each other's borders, and they're going after each Absolutely. other. Absolutely. So getting into that one. By the way, Google, I always say, someone always complains about all their moonshots and this and that. And I said, it's sort of like saying those drug dealers' restaurants in Bogota didn't work. But sure, they're drug businesses you're doing great like yeah, it doesn't really matter they could do whatever they want and it's they can although it is does sort of take focus away when they start doing 
kites and invisibility cloaks. What a franchise, though. crafts. And, and everyone was complaining that their average cost per click was down 11%. But what people fail to realize is that Google got so much better for advertisers in the last year. All their products got better, and they managed to lower prices 11%. Right. Which is nothing which, wrong with that. Which means that they're just that much more competitive relative right. to other media companies. Up. Yeah. Um, they, they've suck up most of the money, as does Facebook. That's the other one. Facebook. Facebook, weaknesses. F- Facebook, in my opinion, is and their love. brand and their brand. I think Facebook is love. I mm-hmm. think that one of the wonderful things about our species is we have a need to be loved and a need to love others. Mm-hmm. I think the strongest indicator of whether you live to a hundred, and this is in my research, this is the great book called Blue Zones on centenarians, is how many people you care for and how many people you feel empathy for. And I think Facebook does help us connect, have more interaction, and feel empathy for other people. So I think Facebook is quote unquote love. Um, I, I think it's probably the best managed company in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the best visionary, if you will, the best storyteller is Amazon. You just hear him talk, and I want to buy the stock. Mm-hmm. Just some kind of he's sort of the next generation Warren Buffett. But I think in terms of a visionary with adult supervision and great management with Sheryl Sandberg, an ability to attract really thoughtful, talented people, I just think they're an outstanding mm-hmm. organization. And they've also responsible for the most agile move, I think, in the last 20 years in business, and that is 0% of our revenue from mobile, what was it, four years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And within 36 months, they're at 80% mobile. Yahoo saw mobile coming. Yeah. The Wall Street Journal saw, all of us saw mobile coming. It wasn't right. a shocker. Right. But Nobody one company was able to pivot and get 80% of the revenues right. from it. So right. this is arguably the most agile, nimble company Google in the world. Did too. Google also did. As Google, what percentage yeah. of revenues come from large, mobile now, Google? They were saying it the other was large. It yeah. Was, it was, um, again, very, super impressive. But right. I think this is a company, and so there's some fatigue on the core platform. Um, the levels of engagement of content on your newsfeed have gone down 30%. 17% of the content on your newsfeed now is ad-supported, and it looks like we're sated. It looks like we're kind of we've, – we've reached That's our limit in terms of advertising. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However – they were super smart, and they bought this growth platform, which, quite frankly, I think is the most powerful or Instagram. most valuable social media company in the world, Instagram. Yeah. And if you look at the user base times the level of engagement, as evidenced by the percentage of people that like, share, or comment on a piece of content, Instagram has 10 to 15 times the engagement of Facebook and 25 times the engagement yeah. of Twitter. So I would argue that Instagram is potentially going to be worth more than Facebook. Yeah, the, the founder is pretty sorry about that. Selling yeah, only it. sold for a billion. Yeah, he did only. Yeah, cry me a river. No, he's a little crying about it. You think? It. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> I've heard Gosh. it. I've heard it. We're going to have him on the podcast. I will ask him directly. I would cry if I were him a little bit. Um, one of, I think, their big uh, weaknesses, though, is is around these Facebook Live murderers and things like mm-hmm. that. It seems like, and especially fake news this year, mm-hmm. I always say that this sub, this beautiful suburb where it feels good is starting to, you're seeing a little glass on the ground, sure. a little trash. It feels a little useless. You know what I mean? And so I think that's one of their big issues is they've got to really modulate that a little better. Well, Mark, think, Mark talks about it. Mark has recently talked about it. I think Facebook and Google both face the same issue, and that is they want to sell advertising against content and then say, but we don't have the responsibilities That's of right. a traditional They've media company. They abrogated their responsibility. And you know what? It's total BS. And that is, what if Thank I you were for saying that. what if I were McDonald's and eighty percent of the beef I was serving before the election day was fake beef, and it ended up people ended up getting encephalitis right. and making bad decisions. You and get I said, sued out of. But I said, wait, wait, hold on. I'm not a fast food restaurant. I'm a fast food platform. So I can't be responsible for the beef I serve. <laughs> I adore you right now for saying that. They abrogate their responsibility like the 12-year-olds. They pretend to be. It's, yeah, we're not. suck up all the money. We're a platform, yeah. not a media company. No, you're not. You run content. You run advertising against it. Boom, congratulations. You're a media right. company. And, and you have some onus of the wonderful things that come along with being a media company, including 90% gross margins, influence of unbelievable magnitude. But there is a level of responsibility 
And wow, have they let us down. They really have. I agree. Thank you. We're in the same club. And what's interesting is they pretend they can't fix it. We don't understand it so hard. They suddenly become stupid. They can't predict it. They can't fix it in a cheap, automated way. Mm -hmm. That's what they're saying. Yeah. If the Washington Post can fix it. So what, Facebook doesn't have the resources (laughs) of the Washington Post? Right. I agree. So unfortunately, it involves humans, which aren't as scalable as bots. They just hired 3,000 people. It was interesting because before they started Facebook Live, when we were talking about it, I said, oh, someone's going to kill themselves or someone's going to kill someone on the platform and literally they were like Kara you're so negative I'm like no I said do you, what are your plans what are your plans for that what are your tools and now they're backfilling that which is a typical internet company thing to do like oops you know, Uber does and others okay Uber so that I, brand. I personally, what would you do Scott with Uber right now well you got, you got to kick the CEO upstairs mm-hmm. uh, these companies all wrap themselves smartly in a progressive pink or rainbow blanket because progressives are seen as Nice but weak. Mm -hmm. And conservatives are seen as smart but mean. And Mm -hmm. if a smart but mean person was running one of these companies, regulators would step in. And it's the reason that regulators stepped into Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Bill Gates or Steve Ballmer are infinitely less likable than uh, Sergey or Larry Mm -hmm. or Mark or uh, Cheryl. And I believe that just from a shareholder standpoint, having kind of frat rock running your company Mm -hmm. is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And being likable is hugely important for a company, hugely important mm-hmm. because people aren't threatened by them. Apple has this incredibly likable CEO. I think that guy is impossible not mm-hmm. to like. Yeah. And as a result, I think we're less inclined to break them up right. or to move in or mm-hmm. to boycott them. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you see the behavior of a CEO, and he's a young guy, I think he deserves he's a second chance. What is he, 39? No, he's 43. 43? Yeah. That feels young. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I'll take that. Anyways, but uh, first thing is I think they need to bring in what I'd call adult supervision. Um, the other thing is we're, we're, what's become – I used to think Uber was going to be the fifth horseman, and now mm-hmm. I believe it's probably going to endure perhaps the mother of all write-downs because what's happened is with all this controversy is we've seen there's quite a few substitutes, mm-hmm. right? So was it that hard to delete Uber and still get a card from, car no. from LaGuardia? No. Is anyone getting rid of their iPhone? I can't imagine what it would be required for Apple to get me off their products. Right. I mean, Tim Cook could literally announce he was joining ISIS, and I'd still like, oh, that's awful. Okay, I'll, is, <laughs> I love those look, give me the iPhone 8. You know, what, uh, <laughs> uh, I'll tweet about how awful it is now. off the iPhone 8 or with yeah. a new one. Or, uh, but, but Gorilla Glass, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, whereas I do think Uber has a decent amount of substitutes. Also, $5.5 billion and $3 billion in losses. I know. At right? some point, I mean, the marketplace has decided to replace profits with vision and growth. And Uber has a lot of that. Boy, you'd hate to be them when the music stops. So I think Uber, first off, personally, changed my life more than any of these things. Mm -hmm. I I have an Uber car waiting downstairs Mm -hmm. for me. I just Mm -hmm. think it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I think they do an amazing job. Uh, Is it worth more than Audi, Volkswagen, and Porsche combined? Which is right now its valuation in the private marketplace. Mm -hmm. So it's an amazing company. Is it worth as much as Airbus? Mm -hmm. I don't know. So, yeah. the uh, first step, we'll, we'll see. CEO. You got to have the, the code. Do it. The way for doing this is to have an infinitely likable and progressive, at least the perception point of growth. a progressive. At this point, in it's growth. Progressives running tech companies is the right algorithm because they're seen as nice and weak. Mm-hmm. That's how we're seen. I, as a proud progressive, we're mm-hmm. seen as mm-hmm. too nice to be Darwin and Ayn Rand and take mm-hmm. over the world, which is all what these four companies are doing. Mm-hmm. If you had a hardcore Republican running any of these companies, mm-hmm. it wouldn't work. Okay. It just wouldn't work. Know. All right. Just two or three more, and then we'll finish up. Netflix. Could be the fifth horseman becoming the operating. All of these companies are effectively operating systems. Mm-hmm. Amazon's operating system for consumption. Google operating system for information. Mm-hmm. Uh, Apple Media. 
right? Facebook operating system for kind of kind of what I'll call our, our connections. Netflix could be the operating system for joy in our lives. Millennials are spending more time on Netflix than all of cable TV combined. So arguably, Netflix is worth more, if you believe millennials are the future in terms of disposable income and their mm-hmm. sheer size, then Netflix should be worth more than every cable and media company on television combined. Mm-hmm. And even at its extraordinary valuation, it's still not. Now, if uh, I think an interesting test to get to know somebody is just to look at their Netflix home screen. Mm-hmm. It just kind of it, it kind of says who you are. Right. I think this company could be if they control the all important. Everyone's so focused on controlling the mobile phone screen, but if they control the TV screen, you know that is that is pretty staggering. Also, I think Reed Hastings is probably the most underrated CEO. I agree. He's, He's pretty also quiet. The code conference. Oh, he is. Yeah. There you go. I got everybody. All the players. Um, I think they're just an incredible company. I think mm-hmm. they've done an amazing job. Net their negative? biggest threat. Yeah. Their biggest threat. Amazon. 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 Five billion dollars on original content. They can still sell paper towels, and Netflix has nothing else to sell but the content. Yeah, and they and basically Amazon can somewhat compete and start hiring. Basically, who has anyone yeah. has anyone with HBO creative on the resume? Mm-hmm. Call them and say we'll pay thirty or fifty. Right. Fifty percent. All right. More. Last two, I think. Yeah. Um, Snapchat. You said a lot about Snapchat, which I think is interesting, and you said it weeks and weeks ago. Yeah, so first off, I, I need to I, – I, I don't understand. There's certain companies for something that I just really don't like, and I think some of them might be, might be just jealousy. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand the platform. I can't seem to figure it out. I feel like I'm going to slip and break a hip every time I'm on the platform. I just don't get Snapchat, so I think I'm inclined not to like it. Right. But I think that our idolatry of youth and innovators has gone haywire here, and we have – basically created an entity that is irresponsible to invest in. The CEO, the tw- I think he's 26, mm-hmm. and the CTO have 89% voting power of a company that's now worth more than Williams-Sonoma, Tiffany, Abercrombie & Fitch, and throw in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And I, so I said a, f- a few weeks ago that I thought it was irresponsible and like driving drunk to invest in Snapchat. I think a company doing $400 million in revenues. Driving drunk to invest. <laughs> uh, just something you should yeah. never do is what yeah. I meant. Right. Um, I'm, not, I'm not in any way saying they're committing a crime. I just think it's something no one should ever do. Uh-huh. Uh, $450 million in revenues, $500, $500 million in losses. Uh, and uh, I listened to the earnings call. I, I think the 26-year-old has the business maturity of a 36-year-old, which is super impressive, mm-hmm. but not of someone who should be managing a responsible fiduciary for that, that many employees or that that much money. Now, it, it, competition's been a great thing for young people. It's been a great thing for people of color and women because basically we've broken the cartel and the monopoly of old white guys. But in certain instances, we've swung so far to the idolatry of youth and innovators that I think we mistake youth for vision. And I think that's, uh, I think that's the um, case here. And I think that Snapchat could be what worries about it about me. I think it could be the canary in the coal mine where this thing literally loses half of its value in one day. It mm-hmm. lost 25%, I think, yesterday, mm-hmm. or 22%. And it's sort of the torch uh, or the spark that torches the market. Right. I think Snapchat could be the canary in the coal mine. What about mine. Airbnb in comparison? So Airbnb, about a $25 billion market cap. Airbnb, to me, has challenges because a lot of uh, apartment owners don't like it. But Airbnb has accomplished something pretty exceptional, and that is it's created liquidity on a global level, and that Uber needs liquidity in a city level. It needs buyers. It needs people who want rides, and it needs drivers. Airbnb needs buyers globally because mm-hmm. people coming into a city from all over the world. Mm-hmm. So I think what they've been able to pull off actually has more moats. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they – and I think the hotel industry, I don't want to say it was ripe for disruption, but I don't think hotel yeah. – the hotel experience has changed a hell of a lot in the last mm-hmm. 20 years. And when you see companies like Morgan Stanley putting Airbnb on their official um, travel log, you can now stay at an Airbnb – to me, at $25 billion, I mean, I'd, ratch, I'd much rather be Airbnb than, than Snapchat right now. Right. All right, last one, the New York Times. 
I just we're having Dean Baquette, and we're talking to him. We've talked to him and others. I interviewed Kellen Ryan from there today, and Rebecca uh, Blumenstein was on stage at the event we were at. Yep. Uh, you know, their digital subscriptions were risen yeah. heavily. A lot to do with with politics, Trump, and everything else. You were on the board. Yep. Troubled time. You were on the board. Yep. Yep. What's the fate? Of, I'm using New York Times slash media companies like the New York Times. Yeah, so difficult time to be a newspaper. The New York Times plays a hugely relevant role in our society. I'm a big fan of the Times. I think the truth matters. I think the New York Times has never been more relevant. Mm-hmm. The question is, does relevance translate to shareholder value? Uh, I hope the same thing happens with the New York Times that happened to the Washington Post, and that is a benign billionaire shows up. And decides, Jeff Bezos, in this case. Another. Jeff Bezos, yeah. But I, did, I would describe him as a benign billionaire. I think mm-hmm. that newspapers need to be like football teams where instead of a white guy Republican who wants to take his friends to the football box, instead it's a white guy Democrat usually who buys a newspaper. I think newspapers are public goods. I don't think they make great shareholder vehicles. But the New York Times continues to be, in my opinion, the most robust evangelist for Western values and is just mm-hmm. a hugely important institution. Democracy dies in darkness. Do you like that? On the, That's I a good that's branding. Fantastic. Did you like that branding? I think it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah ours was shut up and listen. Um, that was <laughs> that's our good, motto. too. <laughs> that's more you. <laughs> All right. Uh, very last question. What is the greatest unsung brand right now, would you say? <sighs> the greatest unsung brand. Unsung. that You don't think gets enough attention. You're allowed to. Or, or one that's just the worst. Oh, I mean, this is the worst. Uber, right? uh, Oh, gosh. I love, I mean, little brands like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I like these little brands like La Roche-Posay. They make great sunblock. I'm trying, to think of, I'm trying to think of something really, really thoughtful here, and I can't come up with anything. Canada. <laughs> France. I'm all of a sudden, Liberté, Egalité, Fraternité. I'm all of a sudden, think, I, think France is, I think France is making a comeback. Who would have thought it was France that was going to be the fire, yeah. kind of the firewall of rational thinking and freedom and common sense. So, so I'm going with France. All right, but that brand, that guy was just in politics. He was on, like someone was joking, he was on the beach a year ago. I'll like, take him. You'll take him? I'll take him. <laughs> as long as he's not a right no, I am, I am. I, but literally, I'm, I, we do a lot of events in Europe, and I want to yeah. do more in France because I yeah. appreciate the, the leadership they've taken around this stuff. And right. so I'm going with France as the most undervalued brand. Scott. This has been delightful. Thank you so much. much, Scott Galloway from business intelligence firm L2. You should hire them. And he teaches brand strategy and digital marketing at NYU Stern School of Business. Do you have a book that people should buy, Scott? So October 1st, my book, The Four, The Hidden DNA of Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google is coming out. And thank you for asking. (laughs) And and, and where it's available at Amazon, of course. Of course. All right, Scott, thank you so much for coming by. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, and I absolutely did on this one, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews we've done with Enjoy CEO Ron Johnson, Radical Candor author Kim Scott, and Walker & Company CEO Tristan Walker, just to name a few. You can find all those episodes and more wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcast. Now that you're done with this, check out one of our other shows on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You'll hear no BS interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference, which has many great speakers. So tune in there. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thanks to our producer, Eric Johnson. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.